This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And you know what else we're kicking in the butt this week, Taylor? What? You know, we have this feature that I like to call stories from the farm. We're upgrading <laughs> it this week to heroic stories from the farm. <laughs> if only. <laughs> so this week... Our special guest, who will not be joining us in the studio, but will be joining us as a part of the whole presentation, is a goat. <laughs> a little tiny goat. I do not know a lot about goats. Um, we have them. Um, they they keep the land clear. You know, they're an agricultural thing. Um, I've lost goats over the years from not knowing anything about them. Um and I try, I learn, but I just don't know them the way I understand chickens and stuff. And um, we we recently got a couple of little little girls, and um, the people who gave them to us, they said that they had wormed them. Um, they would worm them before we picked them up. And with goats here, worming is a really big deal because there are some parasites that are blood-sucking. Like they latch on, on in the intestines. And so uh, they if they're if they get an over infestation of them, they can basically bleed the goat to death. And um, I saw one of this this one little girl. She doesn't have a name. I'm afraid to name them because I have this thing. If you name them, they die. <laughs> so um, I, I noticed that uh, her her face looked really swollen. Like she didn't seem to have a lot of energy. And that troubled me. But what really bothered me was that her face was really swollen. And so I went in and did some research, and I, re I learned that it's called bottle jaw. And it's a sign of, of really bad anemia. And by the time you notice it, like, that, the goat is really close to dying. And so I'm like, well, crap. So I went and um, I researched. And, and so I went and got some, uh, some wormers, and I wormed her. And, um, and you have to do it, like, several times in, you know, a certain number of days and everything. And the thing, the thing about worming is like, some people will do it on a schedule, some people won't. And like, I don't know if it's like we have parasites in the United States that you don't have in other countries, but I can promise you that there's no herd, goat herder in Africa who's putting wormers into his goats <laughs> and they're not dying. <laughs> so I don't know if like it's just that we've bred weakness into the animals because of industrial farming or what it is. But there's this whole line of thinking that, you know, some goats are much more tolerant. They build up a resistance to the parasites where they have them, but they don't kill them. And so I've always been kind of more along that line of thinking of sort of hands offish. Right. So that's why I don't really I don't have them on a schedule or anything. My goal is if if you have a goat that's having um, is not parasite tolerant, then you don't want to breed them and, and bring, you want the parasite resistance, right? 
So that's why they're not on a schedule. And, and I don't really worm any of the other goats. They're fine. And, but she's new and, and she was sickly. So I was like, okay, I got to take care of this and get, get her wormed. And she, she seemed to start doing better, but then not. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe I have to worm her again. And, you know, she just would stand off from the herd. She didn't really seem to have much of an appetite. And finally, I'm like, okay, if I don't separate her and bring her in, she's going to die. I've got to find out what's going on with this. And like when when I originally took care of her, she was so sickly and so weak that if she got butted by one of the other goats and goats are really nasty. They're like they're they're dom like they they fight for dominance just like chickens. There's a pecking order, there's a herd order, and the weakest ones are the last ones to get food. They can't fight for themselves and sometimes they get bullied and picked on and like she would get knocked over, she could hardly stand up. So, um and she got better from that where that wasn't it wasn't that bad anymore, but she wasn't healing. She wasn't robust. She didn't have that look of life about her or energy. So I pulled her out and I put her in the backyard and, um, and I was listening to her breathe and I was like, okay, something's wrong here. So I started researching and I was like, okay, she's got pneumonia. This has got to be some form of pneumonia. And I don't know whether it was like, maybe I accidentally aspirated her when I was sticking, worming down her throat, or maybe she got her something else, but I was like, she needs antibiotics or she's going to die. And normally you would like take a goat to a vet and, you know, <laughs> they would diagnose it. But, you know, if you think taking a dog to a vet is expensive, you know, I'm sorry. I just like, I've already, I'm already my own vet to the chickens. And this is just, I've got to learn. I can't afford to go, you know, hook up the trailer and load the goat and take her to a vet every single time something happens. So, um, you know, I started researching on dosages and what types of antibiotics and stuff like that and went ahead and got it. And so um, this is her second day on it. And like from the very night that she got her first injection, her appetite started coming back. She her her head started picking up. She started looking more lively. And so now, you know, she's eating again and all of that. So um, I'm going to keep her in the backyard for a while until she starts putting on weight and and has the you know, I'll get her through the whole process and make sure she's healthy and then I'll go put her back. But I'm not going to name her. Because if I name her, then she's going to die. <laughs> now, for longtime listeners of the show, they may have the same question that I do, or maybe the same concern, and that's that you're going to bring her into the house. Oh, I've already tried. <laughs> oh uh, actually, yesterday, because uh, she's 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 never been a real like she's. She lives out in the pasture. She, some goats, like if you have them from when they're really little babies and you pet on them, they're just like they're little dogs. They follow you around. They're a lot of fun. But um, but she's not been like that. And so it's been a little bit of an adjustment for her to be with me instead of with her herd. And But she's curious. You know, I'll sit there with her and then eventually she'll come and she'll like boot me on the nose. And so the other, yesterday I had the, the back door open and she was sniffing the door frame and she eventually got her first two feet inside and then she pooped. <laughs> and and normally goats poop little goat pellets, right? But she's on antibiotics and that, you know, creates sort of a, a cow patty texture. And I was like, nope, you're not coming inside. <laughs> Put her back out. But yeah, I, I was already trying to get her to, to let herself in. All right, so that sounds like that a timely poop was a blessing. Yes. 
And hopefully we'll never have a conversation like this again. <laughs> oh, no, we will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, one of the good things about conversations like this is I quickly forget them. It's as though I have amnesia. Ah, oh, you're so good at this. I'm calling this accidental amnesia. And that is because it'll probably end up in a in a title somewhere. And I don't want it to be confused with actual characters who have amnesia. So this is accidental amnesia, why it's a problem and how to avoid it and fix it. So we have talked before about how when you create fiction, we've got this yin yang going on with two separate skills. We've got story and we've got the writing. But Accidental amnesia is an unusual type of issue because it is both a story thing and a wordcraft thing. So on the story side, accidental amnesia is a plotting issue. And on the writing side, accidental amnesia is a flow issue. And since flow is one of those concepts that's a little bit hard to remember slash understand, to, to give a refresher on that, flow issues are breaks or gaps or interruptions in the story's flow that's caused by missing information. And so these are details that already exist in the author's head. Like they, they're they already there, but they just never make it onto the page itself. And if you need a visual to understand what flow is, imagine your readers in a vehicle trying to get from one place to the next and your story is the road that gets them there. And the road determines the route, like that's your scenery, your twists, your turns, whatever. Flow is the condition of that road. And flow issues are like potholes, sinkholes, places where the road simply gets washed out or falls away. So it's interrupting the story. It's a break in the story, in the story's flow. Not the story's plot, but the, the, the logic, sort of the the way that it feels, the the texture of the flow as it's going, um, the texture of the story. So some flow issues naturally are going to be bigger than others. And so on a scale of small pothole to a few feet of road washed away by a flash flood, accidental amnesia is forcing your reader to get out of the vehicle and finish the journey on foot. So it's a really big deal. So what is accidental amnesia? This is what happens when we get like a major plot point, something big happens to the character. And then after that thing happens, the character moves on from it without thought. It's like the character de accidentally develops amnesia. And then from a narrative perspective, that thing, whatever it was, it never happened. I mean, it happened in the plot, but as for all the impact that it has on the character, it never happened amnesia, right? So here's why that's a problem. When something happens to a character in a story, that thing has to matter. I mean, naturally, it has to matter to the plot. But more importantly, it has to matter to the character. Because if it doesn't matter to the character, then no matter how much it matters to the plot, it's not going to matter to the reader. So you can craft the most amazing action sequence, like just brilliant. And your goal in crafting this action sequence is to create tension, to, to make it exciting, 
to show the bad guys. There's there's lots of different reasons for the action, but it's there. It's supposed to be there for a reason, right? But if your character treats what just happened with the same level of importance in terms of emotional impact, thought process, whatever, as he would do a cup of coffee, then that action sequence is filler. It's dead space. It doesn't matter because it didn't matter to the character. Because when we read, we're not reading just to give our brain something to do. Our brains don't lack for things to capture its attention, especially in this day and age when we're just absolutely drowning in content. So we read because the input we're receiving, it's engaging us in a way that we rank higher than what those other inputs can give us. Why are you choosing to read instead of play a video game? Why are you choosing to read instead of watch a movie? Why are you choosing to read instead of going out and living life, real life? Why is this fictional life important enough that you're willing to spend your real life immersed in it? And that's because reading is supposed to offer us something. When we read, we feel. And when we feel, we feel alive. And we get to experience these like threatening, horrifying, dangerous, fantastical, imaginary romance, you name it. We can, we can have an affair without any of the real life consequences. We can feel it without dealing with the fallout. So that's what reading gives us. We're, we, can, we can enjoy these things vicariously and safely through someone else's experience. So that's someone else that we're experiencing it through. Those are the characters that are populating the stories. Their experience becomes our experience. And if what they're experiencing is, eh, ho-hum, yeah, that bad guy, bad guy tried to kill me, but, you know, here, let's have a sandwich. Then your reader is just not going to care about that bad guy or the attempted killing or whatever. And why should they? Your character doesn't. And that character is the only one they're really invested in. So when the story plot calls for a specific thing to happen, that thing has to matter to the character. It can't just happen because of the plot. It has to happen to matter to the character or it won't matter to the reader. And if it doesn't matter to the reader, then you've lost your reader. And the plot becomes meaningless because the reader doesn't care about the plot. You think they care about the plot because that's why we have genre and, and everything else, but they don't. The reader cares about who the plot is happening to. So with all of that, we understand what flow issues are. And we understand that things that happen need to matter to the character in order for them to matter to the reader. But it's all kind of fuzzy in this in like a practical sense. Like it's big picture things. So I'm gonna use some examples. And anybody who's been listening for a while, especially recently, knows that this example probably came from Steve's material. But I've kind of genericized it because, A, spoilers, B, um, I don't want to, f it, when, when we speak in specifics of things that have happened from somebody else's work, it's easy to become blind to how we can apply it to our own work. And... It doesn't do any good for me to to teach and say, okay, here's an here's an example. If you're not able to then take that and apply it to your own work, which is going to be completely different, so I'm trying to genericize it a little 
I think I made that word up, but I'm trying to vague, vague it up a little just to... <laughs> that might be worse. Make, I know, right? <laughs> make it easier to apply it into more than one situation. How good a job I did at that, I don't know. So here's the first example. So our character is pretty much fresh from a murder scene. So he'd hoped to speak with somebody because he needed answers from them. And instead, he walked in and discovered them dead. Then someone else walked in and found him standing over the body. So as a result, cops now consider our character their a primary suspect. They've brought him in for questioning. He hasn't been arrested yet, but the cops are leaning hard on him for information, and they're kind of holding arrest over his head as a way to get it. So now, hours after questioning in the interrogation room, our character's finally cut loose, and the chapter ends. So this is huge, right? This is something big. First, we have a murder. Then we have the uh, our character being suspected of the murder. So in terms of plot points, it's it's huge. In terms of the impact on it should have on our character, it's huge. In terms of what we're left wondering with, like, how what happens next? How's the character going to deal with it all? It's huge. So this is a major thing that just happened in this story, and it should carry enormous emotional weight. So now we move on. That's how the scene ends. We moved on. And the next chapter opens the following day. It's a Sunday, so it's a weekend, right? Everything's closed. It's kind of like our character's day off. And it starts with our character working on home improvement project. And we go three paragraphs thinking about the project, about what the character did to get the supplies, about the weather. Everything is about this project before we get our first whiff of any connection to what happened the day before. But when that whiff comes, it's more as an afterthought. The character's like, oh yeah, um, I still need to find that piece of information that I was looking for before that guy died. And oh yeah, there is that guy, he's dead. You know, I mean, not less, really not literally how it is spelled out on the page, but that's sort of the, the, it's an example of how much mattering it is to the character. It, it really is just in passing, sort of, is more thinking about how am I going to get that piece of information now that this guy is dead? So the issue of him being personally tangled up in it, it doesn't even cross his mind. It's a non-issue. There's no reference to the hours spent being questioned, no worries, no fears, no nothing. We don't even know what happened to him after he left the police station. We don't know if his lawyer gave him any any instructions. It's like from the moment he walked out of those station doors, that part of the plot completely vanished. His entanglement in this thing. All the threats that the, um, the detectives made towards him, because they laid it out. Look, we know you did this. You were here. You were here. And it's like they took his good intentions and and they twisted it and now i mean you really could lay it out and it, it he has motive to have killed the guy right it's not like he just got questioned and we don't know what they were talking about we know that they're laying out a case where he could he could end up getting arrested and charged and arrested and you know either having to go before a jury or whatever so none of that's brought up so why did that scene 
of our character getting brought into the station and being questioned exist? Why is it there? I don't know. Because the character does it. It's like the character didn't, he has accidental amnesia. He forgot all about it. He's already moved on to something else. So that's the first example of what character accidental amnesia will look like. And here's the second, and it comes from the same sequence. So that scene opened with our character doing a, a home improvement project. And now after he's, you know, talked about, oh, I went here to get supplies and, you know, this is what I'm hoping to do with it, blah, blah, blah. His sister shows up. And he's had a few thoughts now about that information. And, oh, yeah, there was that murdered guy, that poor him. But no real emotional uh, connection, no worries, no – even his thoughts about the information that he's trying to get are just like, well, I guess I'm going to have to come up with some other way to get it. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But there's no no sense of urgency or anything. So now his sister shows up. Now his sister is involved sort of extraneously. She's the one who initially requested that the character find this missing information. And she's also the one who sent the lawyer to intervene and get our character out of the police station. So when she arrives to say hi, we already know as readers that she knows about the guy who was murdered. She knows the cops are looking for at her brother as a suspect and that they're, they're pushing him hard for information. But she, we also know she doesn't know why her brother went to visit the guy who got murdered, and she doesn't know what it was that he was hoping to find out. But she does know that if this all blows up, it could come back on her. And she never mentions any of that. She never asks him a question. They never discuss anything. And so this huge plot point happened. I mean, they discuss things, but not about any of that. So this huge plot point happened. Her brother nearly gets nearly got arrested. This whole thing could come back on her. She's there on his porch in person where they could actually speak freely without worrying about recorded calls or being overheard. And the whole reason she's there is to tell him that mom and dad are having dinner and ask him to come. But she could have done that on telephone call. Like there's no reason specifically for her to be there to have this conversation, except there isn't. I mean, there, it's not like a conversation that couldn't be held over the phone. And all these things have happened and our main character is not even thinking about them. The sister who's involved isn't thinking about them. They even, the, the, the actual physical movements to set up having a very in-depth conversation are all there, but now they both have accidental amnesia. So if this huge plot point doesn't matter to them, why should it matter to the reader? And in this particular case, it's especially poignant because although the amnesia, the accidental amnesia is directly relating to the same incident, there are two people with two separate motivations and two separate ways in which this could potentially affect them. So for all intents and purposes, in terms of the accidental amnesia itself, in terms of flow issues, there are two gaps, not one. So you've outlined a pretty 
serious problem. And I, I could have a joke, you know, and, and talk about how the brother and sisters and, you know, they, they have this whole mind meld thing going so they don't even have to make a discussion, but you probably wouldn't buy that as a legitimate reason for the amnesia. Well, I would, I, I would to a point if that had been reinforced enough and if the, our main character had sort of touched on that and said, you know, we're having these conversations about this instead of this other thing, but that's because she understands me well enough that we don't have to talk about it. In other words, it's not forgotten because it's still mentioned, even if it's not mentioned, but the way it's set up now, there's no setup for that. And that was a joke, by the way, that wasn't, that was not the intent. (laughs) <laughs> I know, but I but I was like, that's a really legitimate that's a really legitimate point, even in a non-joking way. Okay, one other one other point, um, and and this actually was intentional, although I I feel silly for the whole amnesia thing, but in my mind when I was writing this, the character. Um, was not particularly concerned because there were two cops there, one of whom hates him, and just was going through this exercise to be a pain in the rear end. You know, I I, I suspect you know she really did think there was a chance that that he was uh, that he was the person who did this, but Reggie didn't think that 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 was a possibility. Okay, so if I understand correctly, what you're saying is that. The reason he tends to overlook it is because to him, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Did I get that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So here's where we run into trouble and in the whole accidental amnesia thing. We don't actually know that because Reggie never expresses it. So there's never any way to get inside his head. Like, we don't know what he's thinking. We don't know how he feels about all of this because um, we haven't been told. So that is, it's also a flow issue. You understood it as that, but it failed to make it to the page. The reader has no way to understand that. And in that sense, well, there's two things. One is by Reggie not feeling like it's a big deal, you are um well it lessens the impact of that whole scene and and makes it extraneous and yes it does but you're also um you're i don't say, i can't find the right word i want to say i don't want to say ruining i don't want to say missing but you're you're robbing you're robbing yourself of an opportunity to increase tension to increase conflict and stories run on conflict. So even a story like this that is light and um, you've got this happy-go-lucky guy, it's still running on conflict and conflict is what makes us care. So if you're ro- by, by making it where he doesn't care, you're robbing yourself of an opportunity to create more depth and richness and conflict in the story itself. So it's a it's a two-sided thing. One, there's the issue of the conflict. And if if it's not a big deal to Reggie, then why have that scene take place in the first place? Um, but second, if that's still the direction you want to go, which um, there's no right or wrong here, you, you know, this is not my story. Um, 
if that's still the direction you want to go, then we have to still understand his frame of mind, regardless of whether it's a big deal to him or not, there's still accidental amnesia. So the the core underlying issue is the same. How, how far you want to take it, how big of a thing it is, that would depend on which direction you want to run with it. But the core thing is still there. Yeah, and the certainly the intent, well, I say certainly, the intent, I clearly remember the intent of that scene, and it was to build conflict and drama, and then I completely dropped the ball in the next scene. Or I, I completely dropped the ball in terms of the way Reggie was reacting to it, I, I think. So anyway, we are we are out of time for this week's show, so we're going to pick this up again next week. Uh, we'll, we'll undoubtedly do a brief recap, and then Taylor will, will finish and then show us ways of resolving issues uh, that involve accidental amnesia. So don't forget to be back next week. Uh, thank you guys very much for listening. And we'll see you next week.